it, it's called Presents for Goblins, and it's a Christmas scenario. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! Oh, nice. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is going to be fun, and I'm just reading through some of the other ones, like just flipping through the book, and it's like, like one of the first ones is uh, like finding about this like Crimson Sparrow cult, and so I'm like reading through, and I was like, the Crimson Sparrow cult, like this is. You couldn't come up with something more intimidating. Like, why not? You know, the Foo Foo Bunny Death Squad Brotherhood. Gosh, that's incredible <laughs> rock band name. Foo Bunny Death Squad. Oh my gosh. I know, right? It's like, have you heard of a uh, baby metal? Uh, like, I, I feel it'd be something like that. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Escalated really quickly. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, on that note, welcome to the show. You and your mom. <laughs> show where three people sit down to talk about whatever they want to talk about. I'm your host today, Eric, and we're joined by our other two hosts, my best friend, Brandon. That's me. And my mom, Mom. Well, that would be me. Her name is Sandy. We're also joined by one other very special guest today, but we'll get to him in just a minute. But before we do that, how is everybody today? Well, I get to go first again because I'm the mom. Absolutely. Claim <laughs> so- that authority. I am going to claim that. I'm actually good. I am. It's been a good week. I had a good weekend. I did finish sewing those curtains. That was a big deal. I know that nobody else cares, but Brandon cares. And so, and my sewing machine, he is invested. And so the sewing machine did great. And I played with making names on shirts and that was fun too. So tell Missy that it works, but it's only one size font. So not that. It's not like, you know, totally impressive, but it is kind of cool for yeah. me. Still something. Yeah. I know you just kind of computerize, like put it in and then it just like sews and it makes like names. It's weird, it seems like it's without the fun, but that's fine. No, yeah. See, no, you no, think it would no. be like those old, like, <laughs> like typing drills where it's like, put the paper in, advance the carriage 17 times. Yeah. Now hit the space bar 34. Now do an X and, you know, five see, days and 60 hours later, you've got a picture of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Obviously, you all have not had to go through college on a typewriter is oh, all I'm seeing. Oh, maybe on a typewriter. <laughs> the one that you had to put the 50 cents in and like get so many minutes for that. Yeah. So, so. real quick, real quick. Mom maybe learned typewriting on an actual genuine typewriter. I still bear a lot of resentment for it. <laughs> <laughs> Out of many other things that he bears resentment for, but like, that's okay. She's like, you're going to need this someday. I'm like, right there with algebra. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the worst things I ever did to you is algebra and typewriting. I don't know, Eric. I think that that's okay. Right? A I, lot of trauma. I had to- <laughs> hey, it could have been meth. She could have forced meth on you. You got math. Yeah. Yes. Hey, math. Very important math. Math. Get negate my argument by saying something's worse. This is still bad. <laughs> you don't get to negate my argument. I say, well, at least it's not something bad. It's still a problem. <laughs> oh, I just like saying yeah. it could have been mess. It could have been Yeah. <laughs> the whole world is very sorry that you had to learn how to use a typewriter. That was just horrendous for you. And <laughs> I'm not sorry. Apparently <laughs> so. We will we have to. Yeah. We'll have to agree to disagree, as they say. There is no remorse <laughs> in me at all for this. So, <laughs> there you go. Brandon, how are you, bud? I'm doing good. I was just thinking about that. Like, unbent, unbroken, unapologetic. <laughs> it's a strong Game of Thrones family <laughs> motto. That's fair. That's fair. I'm doing all right. Uh, I had a busy day. Got to run all over the greater Lansing area work-wise, which was kind of nice to get out in the because It was gorgeous. So just kind of had the windows down the whole time. But yeah, just been keeping busy and getting D&D stuff. 
Awesome. Awesome. Jeremy, we're going to introduce you formally in just a minute, but Jeremy, how are you, bud? Doing pretty good. Yeah, it's been a good day. We just kind of got back from spring break. I work in a high school, so we observed the spring break that the high schoolers get. That's awesome. You get to observe it. That's such a strong. We get to observe. <laughs> I was about to say, does this come with some like respectful garments or? <laughs> yeah, no. <right? laughs> Candles, the whole thing. <laughs> There's some people chanting Latin. I, I know it. I just yes. know it. Yeah. Chanting, yes. thank God for spring break. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me my Roman numeral. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I, there's no way I'm going to top that. I'm just going to say, we're doing good. <laughs> we're doing good here. I can't top that. <laughs> That's too funny. Well, let me introduce Jeremy, our very special guest this evening. We're so glad and excited to have Jeremy. Jeremy and I and Brandon go way back. Jeremy, way back. Way back. Jeremy and I and Brandon actually went to school together. and We've been friends ever since. Uh, one thing, the reason why we invited Jeremy on is because of his unique life experience and his unique job. We found it absolutely fascinating what Jeremy does for a living. So Jeremy actually works with mental health therapy, but he does it specifically in the school system in Florida. So he's working with students every single day and connecting with them in meaningful ways and helping them through high school. The reason we invited him, other than just to talk about his experiences, is his experiences specifically in the last year. We are finding, I did a ton of research, Brandon, mom and I were talking about this. There's not a whole lot of conversation going on about how the pandemic has been affecting our students, our children, our teenagers. And we realized that we knew someone with a unique perspective on that. And so that was kind of the idea other than we just want to see Jeremy hadn't, we hadn't seen his face in a few months and we thought we'd see him is that we could pick his brain about it a little bit and kind of get to know how this is experience is affecting high schoolers in particular and what his personal experience has been throughout the past year, because based on what he's been telling me, it's been a huge shift in education, which I personally know is because for those that are joining us for the very first time, I happen to work in Florida schools as well. Now it's on a different side of things, but yeah, so we kind of have that connection. So yeah, that's, we really appreciate you coming on, bud. We're so glad to have you. Well, it's mm -hmm. great to be here. You know, I remember you and I were talking about this whole concept for a podcast. Uh, I think the last time I visited you guys, you were like, yeah, we're looking to get this up and running. Maybe we'll have you on it someday at some point. And it's kind of cool to see how far this, this podcast has come between then and now. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, he came up to visit uh, for a few days. And I never told Brandon and mom this, but I was telling him then that we were looking, I was considering asking them to start a podcast. And I told Jeremy I would love to have him on one day because I've always found Jeremy really unique with his perspective and, and what he does for a living. So, yeah, it's, it's full circle, man. It's pretty cool. I like it a lot. It little. is cool. Yeah, I like it a lot. So to kick us off a little bit, let's let's get to know low you a little bit and kind of tell us a little bit, kind of maybe your daily activities, kind of give us a kind of bit of a flavor of who Jeremy is and what Jeremy does through each a, a typical day, if that makes sense. Mm, okay. Yeah, I knew we were going to be talking about that. So I was trying to <laughs> trying to think today, what is a typical day? in my job. So I think what I'm going to do is tell you what the typical plan for a day is and what type of things can <laughs> interrupt the best laid plan. plans of mine and men. You yes. Work, you definitely work with teenagers if that's your answer. I'm just telling you. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> so let me 
we start with the should? <laughs> we don't do shoulds. No, 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 no. We don't do shoulds, do we, Jeremy? Yeah, we, sure. we don't should on ourselves, no. No, we never should anywhere. No should. Right. <laughs> um, so a typical day at my school is going to be um, 8.30 to 3.30 would be school hours, essentially. Um, I like to get there a bit early on any normal day. Um, if I can, I like to get there at 7.30, partly because that's going to be the only hour of the day when it's just kind of a slow pace and you can kind of have some um, quietness uh, to just kind of put your plan together for what the day is going to look like. Because once 8.30 hits, and this is very strange, and I don't think I can fully express why it is this way, even if half of the people on your schedule end up not showing up, and even if you can't track them down, if you were going to see five students and make a bunch of phone calls that day and you end up only somehow seeing one, somehow it still ends up being a busy day from the beginning to the end. And I mean every single day. It is just, it is, it is hard to fully describe that without just having you be there and being in it. Um, but you truly never run out of anything to do. Uh, a full caseload for someone in my position is going to be about 20, seeing 20 kids a week, give or take, um, which averages out to seeing about four or five clients a day. You know, sometimes scheduling doesn't allow that to happen the way you'd hope. Um, and you can imagine any number of things getting away. Um, but uh, let's say what a normal day might look like. I have somebody scheduled for 8.30. I was convenient enough to be able to have somebody else scheduled at 9.30 directly after that. Um, we work with block scheduling. So either they show up when they're scheduled to, or often I don't get to actually call student services to get the next one sent down immediately because we can't pull them out of class within the first 10 minutes or the last 10 minutes of class. Uh, forget it if you're trying to get a hold of somebody during lunch hour that you didn't already make plans with. So you can see where uh, half of the day could get away from you if everything doesn't go exactly the way that, um, that you planned ahead for it to go. Uh, things can kind of go off the rail sometimes. And I think one of the tough parts for me in my first year doing it, as somebody who, you know, likes for things to go according to a plan and likes for things to be kind of structured is to just be, learn to be okay with plans uh, uh, just constantly being fluid. Right. Because um, it still gets done. It still gets done, but sometimes you miss a week with one student or another one. And um, sometimes, uh, well, let me, let me back up. Let me just put it this way. Ideally, in a perfect world, you'd have your 8.30 appointment. You'd have enough time to finish your uh, case notes, maybe even make a phone call if you needed to. Then you'd see your next client. You would hope that that would go that way. What ends up happening instead is you have your first client. You have something else that you need to respond to, maybe from a guidance counselor. You don't get to finish your note. You don't get to make a phone call. You get to your next scheduled session. 
you get to lunch, your head is still spinning. You're like, oh yeah, there's these five things. I better make sure to tie up these loose ends if I can. Maybe you have a crisis situation come out of nowhere or somebody that mm, there's been an anonymous tip that somebody's having suicidal thoughts. We don't know if it's true or not. Would you at least please speak with the student? Uh, I'm not going to say crisis situations happen all the time for me, but they do happen. And when they do, they can, that can eat up a couple of hours sometimes. So, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, uh, you know, time and time again, when I talk to people about my job, which I enjoy, by the way, I really love what I do. But I have a lot of people tell me, wow, I don't think I could do what you do. And I'm realizing, oh, wow, I got to give myself some credit. Not everybody's really built for this. Right. That's so a- I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh. I, I, I just, I had a thought because as a mental health therapist like you, only I yeah. do it differently. I'm thinking about you holding all of the emotional needs and things of each of your clients from day to day while also still trying to deal with the fluidity or the demands of the day in your schedule. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering about that portion of your job, if that makes sense to you. Mm, I think it does. Yeah. Um, you know, interestingly enough, and this doesn't happen much, but I've had it happen occasionally. I will occasionally have a teenager ask me, Mr. Loomis, how do you, how do you carry all this? How do you, how do you listen to everybody's stuff that they're going through and just all day long every day? Like, how do you carry all that was the way it was recently phrased to me. And my answer was, well, I don't. And I think it's very important that I don't. In fact, I, I think I'll explain what I mean, but I think that is how I honor the students that I'm working with because I don't think it would be honoring to someone else's experience that they're going through for you to take it on as if it's your own burden to bear. Because first of all, as a counselor, you're put in a privileged position to be told things that not everybody gets told to often be told things that that person hasn't told anybody else, even their closest friends. That's often the case. Right. Um, But also in a position like mine, yes, it's counseling, but it's also pretty much brief therapy. I get because of the limits, you know, I, well, okay. I feel like I should back up here and explain what my job is and what it's not. I'm sure that more than just people in Florida are going to be familiar with what the Parkland shooting was. And after that, Florida legislation was passed so that schools down here would not only have school counselors, they'd also have a mental health counselor. Um, And so that's why people like me are in the schools. We're called co-located counselors. So basically, um, you know, and and a lot of us, myself included, are not school district employees, but agencies would be contracted with the district. So we are the people on staff full time. Uh, We're just contracted. So 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 kind of coming back to to what the question had been was like, how do you carry all this? And the reason I can say that I don't without feeling like I'm like disillusioning the student who asked, you know, uh, because that can get, that can feel like it's putting a divide between you, right? The thing is, when you're in the position that I'm in, there's only one of me. 
You may have one guidance counselor for each different department in the school, but you know, you're going to have however many hundreds, maybe thousands of students. You're only going to have one mental health counselor on campus for them all. So it's not going to be like in a private practice where you could just see somebody and keep seeing them and keep seeing them. Um, the terms of our contract are one, we don't duplicate services. We're here for those who don't already have an outside therapist, but two, there's not enough of me to go around literally. Right. So we have maybe 10, maybe 12 sessions for one student. You can go longer than that. If you specifically get approval from the district, it's on a case by case basis, but basically it's a very short term thing. You can get stuff done within that time, but by the end of that time, I'm given recommendations for like, well, we've got a better idea of what you're dealing with. Here's some resources within the community that could be a good next step for you. Um, and so that's what I'm getting at when I say that I see it as a way of honoring the student to not pretend that their burden is mine to bear. My privilege is to get a window into their experience. But what happens next is that they're going to still have the burden they came in with. I'm not. Not only am I not going to be able to assist with it, but I'm not going to have to. I'm not going to have to feel that anymore. So the best thing that I can do with the time, the limited time that I have is help empower them to live their own life because they're the ones who get to keep their own life. I just get to see it for a little while. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, man. You told me once that it's your um, desire to work yourself out of a job. I always found that really interesting when you said that to me, and it's a chestnut that I put in my pocket, and I've never forgotten that. I'm assuming what you meant by that is because you are trying to equip your students with the tools necessary to continue the journey on for themselves. Is that probably a good sum summary of what you meant by that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's not, it's not like in this you know, universal sense of mission, like I'm going to cure the world of, right. you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know right. this is, <laughs> this is my burden to bear. I know, right. Captain here. <laughs> I, will, I, will, yeah, yeah. I will turn it around for the human race. <laughs> yeah. uh, not like, not like, you know, and after Jeremy, there was no need. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One day so he crossed like, the road and a car drove by and he was gone. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, so that's not, my dream. That's my dream. Whoa. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's not like that when they say that, but the idea of working yourself out of a job, and that's something you'll hear from other counselors because it's basically something that's drilled into us. Right. Uh, when, while we're being educated for it, it's just that idea of, you know, you're not there to tell somebody what to do. I mean, first of all, that doesn't tend to stick when somebody learns something for themselves and there's at least, <laughs> this is going to sound lightly cynical, but is at least allowed the illusion that they arrived at it on their own. Um, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> exactly. That, that's going to stick a lot better. That's something you can actually hold and keep uh, rather than just be told, well, here's what you should do. You know, and people with really good intention may try that 
And sometimes that might good go pretty well in the short term, but you know, that at the end of the day, you want a greater sense of self-efficacy. You want people to believe that they have what it takes to live their own life. Gotcha. You don't want, you don't want them to, um, you never want them to be in a place where they're developing a dependence on you, their short-term helper. That's interesting. You know, it, it, when you describe your job to me, the, an allegory first comes to mind, or at least a comparison, probably comparison is a better word for it, of general practitioners that do general mm-hmm. practice, like medical doctors, you have your primary doctor, and then they kind of, you know, they assess what may be going on, they do, they do the initial diagnostic, and then they may, you know, forward you on to a specialist to see something else. Mm, it sure. almost feels a little bit that way. I don't know if it's a perfect comparison, but would that be a kind of an accurate comparison of maybe what you um, um, Oh, I really need it to be a perfect comparison, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I Let's throw a little triage doctor in there too. Just yeah, to yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, I wonder if you could pitch that to me again. I'm not sure that I totally sure. took it in. Okay. So uh, I was just talking about the idea of this concept of you have your primary practice doctors and they say, oh yeah, something's wrong with you. And I would encourage you to go check this specialist out. And they kind mm-hmm. of forward on to the next specialist. Is that okay. kind of a, a simple comparison to Well, I, I, I'm wondering, I guess, can I add on to that, oh, Eric? Is uh, that okay? Well, no, absolutely not. Uh, but but I, what I'm wondering, adding on to that, mm-hmm. because I think that, Jeremy, you're doing interventions. It's not like you're just diagnosing and sending on. You are mm-hmm. doing 10 to 12 sessions mm-hmm which you and I both know that there are a lot of therapy interventions that are that brief therapy. There's like CBT, things like this that you can do in 10 to 12 sessions to get them stable before you then refer on to maybe somebody or some resources in the community that might help at that deeper level. So I'm wondering, Eric, you have your, your analogy, but I'm thinking that it might be actually more. um, Gotcha. That makes around sense. that. I think um, Eric's asking about that referral process and your diagnosing of and looking for what resources might benefit each particular kid. Yeah, yeah. I think I so I think I understand the question. Um it's a both and thing. Mm-hmm. Um as you most know, things are. <laughs> as, as I, uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh yeah, that's a but that can be a paradigm shift in and of itself. Um, yeah, you know, and CBT is a lot of what we do CBT because, you know, I mean, that's yeah. a lot of what's evidence-based. Yeah, yeah, so that would be cognitive behavioral therapy, and I can pack that into a nutshell. Basically, the theory, the working theory is your thoughts become your emotions, your emotions become your behaviors. Okay. So if we start to reshape your thoughts or what we call cognitive restructuring, then we can uh, ultimately start changing problematic behaviors, start changing the um, sometimes automatic associations you make, which can be, um, which can be informed by uh, uh, trauma, you know, other things. We just learn how to survive, you know, and sometimes we don't think very consciously of it. We just do what was available to help us make it through whatever we've been through. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so a lot of, I would say a lot of, a lot of CBT doesn't always necessarily even feel like you're being given um, uh, 
I want to say that it doesn't always come across like you're being given therapeutic strategies because some of it can feel so common sense. It's just, yeah, you know, I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. But it's just like um, becoming, I mean, becoming more aware and more, shall we say, intentional. Intentional is the word I use with my clients with CBT. Mm. Right. Yes. Right. When I do CBT, I typically, yeah, I typically use CBT as a, as a short-term intervention at the beginning of therapy, but there's the difference between our practices is I am a private practice clinician. So I can Mm -hmm. sometimes keep my clients for as long as they'd like to continue. I even have some that have worked through their life crises and have stayed in counseling in order to work on personal growth um, and those kinds of things, which is really cool. Yeah, that is cool. It is, but I start with CBT or there's other things. I mean, I also, I'm a trainer in trauma-focused CBT, for instance, the TFCBT, um, which don't, doesn't really hit your demographic because that's that high school where TFCBT stops at around 14-ish. 13. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it does. But I agree about the CBT, but there are a lot of other brief, like solution-focused some of the narrative therapies also are all that brief therapy. Um, mm. And these are designed, and I'm going to say this for Eric and Brandon, these are types of therapies that are designed specifically to be brief therapies, three to four months, 10 to 12 sessions. That's what these are designed gotcha. specifically around, which is why I was asking Jeremy about that use, because I, I'm assuming, Jeremy, that you don't just like, oh, hey, yeah, hello, kid. Now here's a specialist for you. I, I, you said 10 to 12 sessions, and I'm thinking there's a lot that can be done at least for current crises or current situations in 10 to 12 sessions. That's Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's surprising, to tell you the truth. And yeah. it's, it's, it's mysterious. Um, the way that it works is mysterious. Uh, after you've been in it for a short while, it, it starts to make more and more sense to you that the phrase trust the process Mm. comes up so much, right? (laughs) Because you cannot like, you're going to, you're going to make progress and then look back and not know how it happened. Yes, it is. It's magic. It's like voodoo sometimes. It feels that way. I say this with my clients. This is voodoo. This is magic. It's so amazing. Short-circuit human cognitive ability. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind Mm -hmm. of. Well, and and you know, like, I'm trying to decide how how I want to get this across, what I'm thinking right now. There is, there's a power unlike anything else in human connection Mm. and that's why rapport is a a really important part for me and my approach that's a really integral part of what i do Uh, i'm not saying that we wouldn't get a lot done if i stuck with worksheets and said here how's this gonna how's this thing that you're having daily meltdowns about uh that you're worrying might happen if the worst case scenario, what, how are you going to feel about it a month from now? How are you going to feel about it a year from now? I'm not saying that that's useless. And sometimes I'll do exercises like that, depending on what's going on. But the, uh, this is so important. I really want to say it in a way that gets it across. 
I think a lot of people who care about somebody don't know anything besides the mentality of, oh, there's a problem, let me fix it. And that doesn't really empower the person who's dealing with a problem. It certainly doesn't prepare them to live more independently. And when we're talking about a child, it doesn't teach them what it's all about to grow to maturity and become an adult who can handle their own um, responsibilities and and who can live life. Um, So a lot of this is not, it's not just about being able to make a rational connection. It's not all about here. I'll explain the, um, I'll explain the steps to take to get well and to, you know, make your major depression go away. You know, it's not, it's not like stop being sad. Yeah. (laughs) That Bob Newhart sketch. Yes. (laughs) Stop Stop it. S T O P new word. I T stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. (laughs) (laughs) I use that with all the we have, I use that with all the interns that I, I have worked oh, with. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So funny. It's so oh, it's funny. Great. His just timid presence. Well, it's well, a second city sketch called Stop It with Bob Newhart, just for those of you who are listening. Yeah. Yes. Well, On I, YouTube. I have an approach that you might want to try. It's, it's stop it. <laughs> so, Jeremy, I'm, I guess I'm wondering because I agree with you. All the meta, meta step analyses, all of the analyses yeah. of all the. All the studies show that the therapeutic alliance between the counselor and the client is the single most important thing for client outcomes. Mm. Um, No matter what therapy modality that you use, no matter what you're trying to do in session, it is the client counselor therapeutic alliance that is the most important factor in that moment. So I'm, I'm certainly agreeing with you. And I think science also, the studies also yeah. agree with you. Mm. But part of what we were doing tonight, where we were talking about COVID, and I'm wondering about how that therapeutic alliance during the time of this pandemic has moved you, moved your practice or changed your, or maybe it hasn't, but how it has, has, because here's the thing, I'm also a counselor who's been doing this for a long time, <laughs> probably longer than, well, longer than you've been alive, but there's a joke there. I'm going to, there is a joke there, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing for we've never, I've never been a therapist during a pandemic right. and boys. I know the other pandemic was in 1918. I was not alive. I'm just going to say that right up. <laughs> I was still but sitting I'm, on my Carl Jung's assistant joke. So yeah. Okay. So you just, some, just some lies I let slide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, I'm, there are times during this pandemic that I've also been struggling, frankly. Yeah. It's not been an easy transition in some ways, even as introverted as I am. You know, there, there have been anxieties. I mean, this is during an election year. I mean, there's been all of these things and I've been having to deal with that along with being oh, a counselor. Good. 
So I'm, I'm wondering about you and that therapeutic alliance and your kids, because working with kids, and I do work with a few teens, but you know, there are some differences between adults and teens in how they are able, even their capacity to deal with adversity or things like a pandemic. And I'm wondering about that with that therapeutic alliance and how do you, how are you able to manage that through all of this? Yeah. Wow. I'm having some instances come to mind, trying to decide which one to kind of go with first. Well, it was, you know, a little over a year ago, right? When we got the announcement over the PA system, all right, we're all going home. We're shutting down school and everybody's going to be virtual starting now. And uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't completely a surprise in as much as the rumors had already started. There was talk that, yeah, it's probably going to happen. It might happen today. But then it actually happened. And just to set the stage, I say set the stage as if everybody listening didn't also go through it. Uh, but you know, right. But, but this is a very unique experience. Yeah. That's only, it is. Huh? I said, it's only happened to you. You're your own star of truth. It's only, it's only only, show. It's the Luma show. I'm just throwing that out there. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, when I, when I said that I'd be responsible for, for, you know, freeing the human race, I meant to, I meant that in a very solipsistic reality. <laughs> There's a Jeremy I know. <laughs> no, but but just as a but just to kind of frame it up and put this into perspective, like we're in we're in the age when there have been formal research studies done into media addiction, into um, being unable to separate from your smartphone. Um, so we're used to substituting a lot of quality of life things with kind of similar things things that we can at least get dopamine from but often don't get serotonin from which if you don't want to speak in terms of chemicals what i'm saying is you know there's a fulfillment that comes from having quality real life relationships where you're spending time in person with other people there is a different quality of experience there Think of a couple that you know who'd never fight when they're together, but they'll have the, the most terrible misunderstandings when they're communicating by text. There is something missing. Right. Yeah. And, and yet we're, we're living more and more of our lives uh, on this little magic rectangle that we keep in our pockets. And then suddenly we were all sent home and we had to do everything from our laptop. And at first I thought it was actually going to be kind of cool because I set up a dual monitor system. I use my TV as my main screen. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't have a printer, so I just uh, kept all my files ordered uh, on, on our agency's cloud and on my, uh, and on my local hard drive. And uh, you know, it worked, but there was, I mean, I knew that my students were feeling it, but so was I in a real way. It was, it was a shock how much, it was a shock how much um, I was affected when it wasn't what I was choosing. Uh. When it was, you know, because kids today will never know. 
uh, you know, <laughs> what we had, like you saw, you've probably seen this meme. There's this guy, he's holding a boom box over his shoulder. He's got a Walkman. He's got all these things. And, and the, the caption reads something like, you know, these were, this is all your phone now. Right. And that's incredible. It really is incredible. Uh, and I never get over it because, you know, I grew up into this. I was a teenager when we first had Juno email. And, you know, oh, you, yeah. you remember hearing <sighs> connecting to the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounded like a weird fax machine. And I can't believe fax machines are still a thing, but don't get me on that. So we <laughs> we get sent home and and we're doing everything, um, not in separate classrooms, but from the same seat in front of the same computer. And... I don't want to go on too much at length about this, but, but just to, just to round out the thought, I know just for me, um, I started to realize what a comfort it had been to be able to leave the stress of a work day at work Mm -hmm. instead of taking it home and having it be in my own personal living space where I was now doing everything. If you want to look, let's say on an energetic level, that, that takes some, you got to kind of work it out for yourself and figure out how you're going to make that work. For me, one of the things that I did was I would change my clothes as soon as I clocked off for the day. I just wanted to have some dividing line to say work is done. Now it's my personal life. Sure. Um, I also did a lot of running during that time, which that was good because you feel like a lot of your choice is taken away from you. And even though it wasn't a full lockdown, by which I mean, it's not like everybody was literally confined to their own house. It still felt in, in a, in a certain kind of way that I know I don't have to explain because everybody, I feel, I bet everybody knows what I'm talking about. It it still felt suffocating. And you're like, how long is this going to, go on this way and what are the implications what's going to happen next is it going to get better or is it going to get even worse um so anyways that's just me talking about what the work transition was like for me personally when i started talking with my students about how they were experiencing it first of all let me say sessions became a little more casual that was on purpose um to me some of this was instinctive but it really felt necessary it felt necessary to roll to roll with what was happening to acknowledge this isn't normal to to you know just be human beings together with you know still maintaining appropriate social boundaries between a therapist and their students but but recognizing we're human beings we're going through this bizarre situation let's just be real people about it And I was talking to my students and one of the themes that I was hearing was, I feel like the teachers are just assigning busy work. I feel like we're getting so much more assignments than we ought to be right now. Um, I'm also terribly distracted by all the notifications we're getting. It's just a stream of notifications in our like Google classrooms. Um, I, I had one student tell me they had to they had to just turn off their notifications so that they wouldn't constantly be distracted by it while they were trying to get their work done. You'd hope that people would have enough understanding to be accommodating to kids with maybe an ADHD problem, you know, difficulty with focus and motivation in that sense. 
but this became a thing that was just affecting everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we're a year into this. Mm. And as you said that I have an 11 year old client who mm. has ADHD and there still have been no real accommodations. And she has a 504 plan. And those of you who don't know what a 504 plan is, it is past uh, an individualized education plan. This is someone who has diagnosable issues and there have been no accommodations because there's, they're not sure how to make these accommodations. So now she's starting to develop these mental health issues. She's starting to have mm. self-esteem issues. She's not able to have friends because she's feeling so isolated from her peers. And, you know, it's at that puberty age where they don't feel they're already struggling with that, that identity and that self-esteem. Sure. Such a vulnerable time. It is a very vulnerable time. And I'm thinking about all of these children that you see every day. For me, my caseload, I probably have maybe 10% of my caseload right now, 15% are, are kids other than that I see adults. But I can't imagine having a full caseload and dealing with that day after day and being the one that even it's not just the kids. I'm just, I'm thinking about being in the school. I do have friends and former colleagues, well, they're still colleagues, but former people who used to work for me, actually, who are now school counselors. And I know that they are getting it from both sides because the administration is also coming to them for wisdom. And, you know, as a counselor, people come to us for wisdom. We're thinking, I don't have any extra thing. Do I look like Yoda? But in this instance, I can only imagine how you might feel kind of sandwiched between these children with their needs and the administration going, how do we, how do we cope um, with and help our kids? And I'm, I'm just picturing myself in that position. And it would seem very difficult, Jeremy. Mm. I appreciate that. I'm trying to think of how to respond to that. You know, uh, it's a little different now because we're starting to get a lot of the students back on campus now. Mm. Um. It is a funny thing being in that position where you hear things from different people who have a very different vantage point on the same situation. Sometimes it's comical. Yeah. It, sometimes it is like, sometimes it's, it's heartbreaking, but sometimes it is actually funny. Like only because... <laughs> Only because sometimes it's funny to watch an exercise in futility play out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can appreciate that humor here. <laughs> right there. Yeah. Like, our podcast. Like, <laughs> like, okay, this might, this might, depending on who you are listening, this might sound like a big gamble to take this approach, but occasionally I'll work with students where truancy is the problem. Yeah. But is truancy ever really the problem? No, but you know, exactly. There you go. Like, I think you know where I'm headed with that. So like one of the things that I'll make really clear to them the first time we talk is look, I know that, you know, I know you don't need another person to tell you, you need to show up to your classes. So what's really going on and how can I help? 
And that tends to be more fruitful than just going straight into accountability strategies. And, you know, oftentimes we will go into that too, but I don't believe it's a very wise starting point. Um, I, I don't think I answered your question though. Could you, could you bring me that question again? Well, I'm, I'm wondering how you're, you're bound, I guess, basically boiling it down to how are you as the one that I know is caught in the middle sometimes like the account, like the truancy. <laughs> yeah, we know that's, that's always the issue. It's just, they're just truant, but whatever. Anyway, here you are, you have the students needs and they're crying out. I know that the, the kids I have on my caseload are, they're hurting and they're confused and their adults are also confused because mm. no one has been through a pandemic before. Yeah. Here you are, it's a mental health therapist in the school and you have these kids going, Mr. Loomis, I have this need. Now, you know, they're not saying it that way, but they're crying mm-hmm. out through truancy and they're crying out through behaviors and they're, they're crying out through all of these ways that kids cry out and we have the administration and the teachers and they're all going Mr. Loomis what do we do and you're trying to balance all of that and that's what I'm wondering about how are you doing that and how are the Mm. kids managing through that and how are the the adults managing through that I guess uh yeah yeah you know funny enough I don't I'm I'm trying to remember, and I feel like I don't have a ton of examples that I can bring to mind of times when it became when that became really complicated. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes I will be aware that I know things that the rest of our team doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that like that have sort of informed me, well, okay, yes, this is a concern, but this is not the primary obstacle. And if they're going to get where you want them to be, we're going to kind of have to deal with something else that's more pressing first. Um, Sometimes that's the case, but if I'm, if I'm hearing what you're asking, then what I'm, what I mean is that I haven't gotten a lot of like, um, intense push from anybody it's more been like they will kind of keep me in the loop on what's happening with students that are particular concerned um and and you know i've got to say this might come down a lot to just where i'm at specifically because i i've not only do i like the kind of work that i'm doing but i've been it's been such a great team it's, you know, and I wondered what it was going to be like to be um, contracted rather than being, you know, somebody who is a staff worker at that school. You know, I wondered, is it going to be, is it going to be different? Am I going to be looked at differently? Um, and then it was just understood. No, you're, you're part of this team. We're going to do this together. And we're going to take care of these kids. Um, and that's been just wonderful honestly that is not an exaggeration um i'm so thankful in so many respects for for where i'm at it's been you know you definitely will have the occasional day that's just very hard to get through um times when uh you have to you know 
you're legally obligated and ethically obligated to break confidentiality for certain things. Yes. Maybe a student is suicidal and they didn't think you were going to tell anybody what you told them. But guess what? You told them the first time you met. These are the things I have to tell somebody about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm there for the student's safety and not for uh, not solely for their comfort. Right. So certainly there are limits. I try to make those limits very, very clear because I think, I think everybody's pretty forgetful. I don't want to just say teenagers are forgetful, but I think it's easy once you get comfortable with somebody to forget that there are still things that you could say that they might have to tell somebody else. And uh, yeah, uh, I just said a lot of things, and I think I got myself off of the train of thought. That um, did I answer the question that you asked? I, I think you did, Jeremy. I, I I think that there are these pulls, there's these emotional pulls, and it's funny that you mentioned that. You know, the the times that we do as mental health therapists have to break that confidentiality. Yeah, and because there's such a almost sacredness around that confidentiality, and it seems even greater sometimes with my younger clients because. Mm-hmm. They are really trusting us as adults with their things, their secrets, their feelings, their vulnerability. And sometimes we do have to break that confidentiality. Either they're suicidal or homicidal or they're being abused. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're not quite sure. I don't think you should call anyone and tell them I'm being abused or, or whatever it is. And I think that all speaks to me to that emotional difficulty of navigating the pandemic and people looking to mental health therapists for how do we how do we navigate this pandemic and and you and I both know we're like I don't know <laughs> I've never been <laughs> here before don't find out, I don't know <laughs> I know we didn't study this in school how many times have you told your clients this year I've never been through a pandemic before right not in so many words but uh, yeah <laughs> You oh, know, shoot. I, I say it all the time. I've not been through a pandemic before. Yeah, I, I just no, literally no, say that. <laughs> nothing wrong with saying it that way. I think, yeah. that, I think the way that I tend to approach it is, is uh, <laughs> I think I try to spin it to be a more, well, I mean, you know, a unifying thing and like a, mm-hmm. maybe even a collaborative thing. Right. Like, I, for me, it tends to go on a, it, it's always never too far below the surface is it on an existential level that, that we right. end up talking Hmm. Um, so to me, it's just kind of like, well, yeah, we're kind of all figuring it out as we go, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. See, that's, that's the approach I even tell my clients. That's, that's in that first session, when you're telling them, this is the limits of confidentiality. This is how we'll work. I even say I'm very collaborative. I'm client centered hmm. and I, I'm maybe the expert on counseling techniques. You are the expert on you. I love it. I love it. I told somebody that today. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly how I work with all my new clients. I tell yes. them that exactly. Um, and it's it, it because that's true. It, it's I've studied counseling techniques, I've studied all of these things, but I haven't studied each individual person. Yeah. And, and when we add in our own stuff and our own responses to the pandemic and the kids' responses to the pandemic and all of these things, I you know, I I hear that angst that I struggle with. It's kind of funny because our, our practices are different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see more clients about twice oh, as yeah. many as you see. <laughs> yeah, you That's do. not normal for <laughs> private practice. I'm just, I've just, I've got a business plan, but, yeah. but I, I, 
I'm working it. But anyway, so I, I, I see more than you see, but I do see mm-hmm. differently. You know, I see sure. adults and I, I have, I do a 50 minute therapeutic hour. You know, my, my case notes take two minutes. I do talk to text oh and goodness. it's done. Oh, I get terrific. up, I take my dogs out. I do a couple sun salutations on my yoga mat between each client. Uh, I do you're some, just flexing now. You're just, you're I'm just flexing. <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm martini hearing, brought to you by your butler and your husband. Yeah, I don't usually drink while I'm working. While I'm working. I get I do my day I, drinking. I I don't do that either. Just Sometimes I get a jump on my night drinking. <laughs> yeah. A jump. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't do that either. But it would make the day go by a little bit differently. <laughs> However, it would. would. I know, but I think about what you do and I what I'm comparing it to is a couple things. One is when Eric and I actually were contractors at that prison for mm. the the um, ma- the ad- adolescent males, mm. and they were in school, and he and I were 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 working that, and how all the problems, of course, the problems were exaggerated because we were <laughs> in a prison for boys, right? Yeah. Um, that and. I worked for a while as the director and lead therapist for an intensive outpatient rehab therapy uh, therapy uh, program, I guess, for adolescents. And mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it's four days a week, but it's after school. Mm. So there was always these cows or the crisis of the week. We had the, you know, we had the. Oh, cows. I was going to say. Oh, that's really that's really unkind. I mean. <laughs> yeah, we call it the cows, the crisis of the weeks, or the cods for the kids. It was crisis of the days. Oh, I know. Okay. I'm sure they talked about body shaming and some of your. I am not ever doing body shaming. This is a thing for teenage boys too. Yes, it is. So we're not talking about that. We're calling the crisis of the week or the crisis of the day. So it's either a cow or a cod. So it's just an easy way to remember, but that's the closest I can get to what you do. And I remember Mm. how, how invested in these children's lives I became because I saw them every day, almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was wow. there yeah. and I knew their rhythms and I was part of their part of their rhythm process. And even if I didn't see them that day, I was still there as part of their, their adults, a part of their process, a part of their day. And they would see me and go, hey, you know, because, hey, Miss Sandy, because they would see me. And even if I weren't actually seeing them that day, they still felt that connection. So there was still that connection going from me to them and then back to me. And mm-hmm. I'm picturing you through this pandemic and these kids with all of their, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being 15, for instance, going through a pandemic. Wow. I, I, it's hard enough at my age. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And I'm sure. four, t- four <laughs> times older than that, right? Speaking of which, let me ask you guys a question. Um, and it's for Jeremy, obviously, mommy, jump in there, obviously. Um, have you guys seen an increase in your caseload since the pandemic hit? Or are you seeing more exaggerated problems with the population you are already with? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Are you seeing an increase of patients coming in? Or are you seeing a different set of problems appear in the patients that you already have? You've not necessarily seen an increase of patients but you're seeing a deepening of their conditions, if that makes sense. How am I doing? Is um, clear as mud, as they say? That's clear enough to answer. And if the answer doesn't drive at what you're asking, you can, you can always ask a follow-up. Um, so one thing that really surprised me this year, um, and I mean this 
school year because the beginning of the pandemic was last school year. Right. Um, I was surprised. I was surprised at how gradually my caseload grew. Mm. Now, mm. the best way I can make sense of that when attempting to explain it to myself is um, I think a lot of I think a lot of the kids at our school ended up getting outside therapists. Okay. Gotcha. And, and honestly, I don't know what it could have been if it wasn't that, because it just, it, it, that, because it's just unprecedented for it to go that way. Um, I would have had, uh, I would have had a full caseload probably a month or two sooner if it had been a normal school year. Um, I think a full month or two sooner is no exaggeration. Hmm. Uh, but like I said before, uh, we don't duplicate services. So if you are seeing an outside therapist, then you're not going to become one of my clients. I might see you if you're having a crisis, but it would be like a single instance thing rather than an ongoing thing. Um, so that, no, not so much. And that confused me on a couple of levels, not least of which being one of the trends that I'm sure the rest of you heard about too was uh, that domestic abuse was on the rise since, right. since the, uh, the pandemic hit, um, you know, and maybe that's no surprise in and of itself either, because you have people who uh, let's face that America is a busy nation and how, how much quality time for better or for worse, um, how, how little, of quality time do you actually get with your loved ones? You spend all day either at your job or at your school. And, you know, it's more normal to spend time in front of the TV than it necessarily is to truly share a meal together. Like what used to be pretty standard. Right. Um, and so if people already don't really know how to get along and if they're also bringing their own insecurities and stresses and, and all just trying to coexist and what ends up feeling like a small space, even if you have a decent sized house, um, you know, calling back to what we were talking about earlier, it can feel kind of suffocating, especially when there's just so much uncertainty. I, I want to, I want to, Oh, but I can't remember the name of the person who said this. There was something, if I can just remember the term that they used. Oh, but I don't know if I can. It was, it was so good. It was, um, I can't remember if it was a podcast or if it was uh, an article that I read, but it was basically just this idea of overload. Mm. And, um, and I can't, if I think of it, I'll tell you before the end, but it was just this idea of, you know, we have a certain capacity to handle uncertainty. And one thing that the pandemic has brought even though it's been kind of abstract, it, it hasn't been, it's not like having a bug trying to get into your eyes. It's, it's this thing that's harder to name because you feel the effects of it, but you don't see it attacking you. Mm -hmm. It's just this. It's like a existential terror almost. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good Covering way to put it. over you all the time. Yeah. 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 Um, it is just that perpetual uncertainty and what that does to your sense of equilibrium. Mm. You know, that's been a lot of, I think a lot of, um, 
of just that loss of <laughs> not even stability, but a sense of stability. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you, if you take my meaning yeah. in, in that distinction, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, because that is, a, I mean, is it fair to say that's a, that's a type of fight or fight or flight response is just to recognize I'm in this sort of, unfamiliar situation i'm not sure what's going to happen next but i am all the time not sure what's going to happen next right it is it's it's actually called surge capacity is what you're talking Mm. about and it's it's what we use for normally short-term stressful situations acutely Mm. stressful situations and that's what you're describing i think that may have even been the term and it it drops us into that fight, flight, or freeze, that amygdala mm. response. Absolutely. Yes. So when you extend that sense of adrenaline, because I'm sure there's adrenaline and, and anxiety and stress. <laughs> among factors, other things. Yeah. Among many other things. I think it would almost be akin to someone, say, for instance, like that went through a long term in Iraq during combat. We are starting to see. It's funny because I hear Jeremy on his end, and then mm-hmm. as a private practitioner, I'm thinking, yes, they're all coming to see me, all of them. The entire United States is asking to see me, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> because there's been a huge increase and a lessening of the stigma of going to counseling, Right. which in and of itself is actually a good thing, but people are more open to counseling because they're realizing that we're in the middle of a pandemic, of course you'd want to go to counseling, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am seeing seeing that surge capacity that you're talking about, Jeremy. Um, I'm I'm seeing in in that trauma response, Eric, that you're mentioning. I'm actually seeing symptoms of PTSD from the pandemic, um, and I'm not the only one. If if you know me at all, you know I'm constantly reading journal articles and things. That's it's my life. I know it is what it is. Sorry. I also read novels. I'm just going to point that out. But I, I read these journal articles a lot. And other clinicians are also seeing this, um, both the surge capacities and that long-term uh, trauma response and the damages that it does to mm-hmm. our nervous system, our bodies, and our perception of life, which is really mm-hmm what trauma response is it's it's all the above it's our our biology and our our psychological response combined our bodies do keep the score but Mm. our minds also keep the score and they're not separate we feel like they're separate but they're not that's another story i know but i hear what you're saying jeremy and i'm seeing the same thing only on this side Mm. and i say this side of the general practitioner where this is where people are coming And they are coming more and there are problems, Eric, that you asked about. They are more intense. I'm seeing more. And it's interesting because I see couples sometimes and they literally will say, we were fine until the pandemic Mm -hmm. and it has magnified or intensified or exacerbated whatever was going on. I see individuals who go, I thought I was fine until the pandemic. Wow. And it, again, has magnified, it has intensified, it has exacerbated what I thought was capable, you know, I was capable of managing. Mm. And I, I think that it's done that for actually most of us around the world. If you remember, I have clients literally around the world. Oh, okay. I'm seeing, yeah, I do, Jeremy, I do see them on all continents right now, but South America, but I'm getting one 
ready to want to go back to South America. I need one on Antarctica. So if you're listening and you're on Antarctica and you need a counselor, I really want one on Antarctica so I can say all the continents. But yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there. You can really save the world. I really <laughs> saved the world. But it, I'm seeing the same things in my clients in Europe, in Australia, in in Asia. I'm seeing in Africa, I'm seeing the exact same things. We're all kind of going through this together. Right. Wow. And it's it's it is unique in that we are the entire world going through this together at the same time. But I, I think, Jeremy, to your to your thing, again, that surge capacity. That that level where we're like, okay, I am at capacity. That's mm. literally what that surge. Think of the word surge capacity was named. Yeah, on. yeah. Think of what that is and how that how how we as humans respond. And if you're 15 or 16, what do you do with that? Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, well, <laughs> I'm trying to reach for an analogy because that I, I love what you just said. I mean, think about it when think about it when something wasn't recorded properly or when out of nowhere you've got your earbuds in and something comes in way too loud. What are you going to do? I mean, maybe you'll freak out. Maybe you'll just whip those things out of your ears. Yeah. You're not going to be okay. You're not going to be, this is fine. You know, it's, you're going to have some kind of reaction and people react when they're not okay. Um, you know. But I think if there has been a theme now, you know, I'm not going to say on, on this podcast, like specifically where I work, but I do work at an art school. And I, so I work with a lot of creative kids and certainly there are some stereotypes that come along with that. And, and if you have kind of some real life frame of reference for what creative kids are like, yeah, there's probably there's probably a lot of representation for what you think the typical um, uh, stereotypes represent. There's often a high degree of sensitivity that comes to being um, a very right brain person, a very creative person. And I'm not talking, I'm not specifically referring to being sensitive in the sense of being fragile. I'm talking about being sensitive in the sense of picking things up. Uh, the same way like um, a tune or, or, or a, uh, what was it called? Um, come on, what's it called? For like picking up tremors, like for an earthquake? Seismograph. Seismograph. Yes. Like you have to have a certain sensitivity to pick up things. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think if I've noticed something that seems to be a trend, I think a lot of kids' response to this surge, uh, to this overload of surge capacity has been to shut down, mm -hmm. emotionally shut down, mm -hmm. because you can still serve. I don't want to say this so dramatically, but it's almost like there's, it's almost like there's a way you can kill yourself and still be alive. Yes. Kafka. Hmm. so so it's and and actually Brene brown who i consider a role model in in our field yes. i i just adore her and i hope to meet her for coffee someday um i i know that the way that she's described it is you can't selectively turn off your the emotions that you don't like 
it's not like you get all these separate faders and you can say, well, I want to feel joy, but I don't want to feel sadness. So I'm just going to turn that one down. No, it's one fader. It's your emotions fader. And if you fade out, you're going to fade out. Um, if you turn your emotions way down, um, I'm going to guess most of listenership is probably not familiar with the word anhedonia. Um, but you probably are familiar with the word hedonism. So if you're familiar with the idea of living for pleasure, anhedonia is like that idea of no longer being able to experience pleasure. Um, and that could be a very real thing, especially in like um, uh, depressive cases. Hmm. But think about that in terms of a survival mechanism. Think about just having to live day in and day out with something that, you know, maybe it wasn't a, a train speeding toward you, but you experienced it as an existential threat and it was trauma for you, even if nobody, you know, maybe you weren't alone when it happened and you're the only one that affected that way. Well, uh, you still experienced it as something that threatened your life and you couldn't handle, um, you couldn't handle those emotions being on full blast all the time. What are you going to do other than turn them off or turn them way down? Right. And I think that makes it hard in my demographic. And during this time, I think that is one of uh, a number of dimensions to this whole thing that makes it harder for parents to know how to be there for their kids because a lot of the times the problem is masked or the problem is invisible. Did, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Does absolutely. Uh, guys, I'm sorry. We're going to have to call it. <laughs> what the heck? I, I know. I hate to break it up here. It, I'm struggling because I want to continue with the conversation desperately. For those that are listening, we're definitely going to do a part two, I think. And in part two, what we're going to do is talk about um, the symptoms. And you've already started talking about it, Jeremy, this mm -hmm. idea where your kids are shutting down. I think that'd be a really good idea to do a part two where we start talking a little bit about maybe some general symptoms that you might see in mm -hmm. teenagers and children that are popping up during this time. And that way our listeners can be kind of aware of it. But, you know, we have a lot of listeners that have their own kids, they have grandkids, and this might be something that's really relevant for them. Talk mm, about sure. symptoms and then maybe some general approaches on reconnecting with your kids, checking in on them because it's a, is as tough as it is on our, uh, as, as, as adults, it's just as, as tough on kids, if not more. So we definitely want to talk with that. Would that be okay for everybody? I, I, I hate to break it up, but it's, it's such a great conversation. I feel like we need to le let that breathe and maybe do yeah. a part two. Is that okay? You know, I think that's a great idea. Uh, I'm glad that you said that just now when you did, because I was already feeling like, oh, this could go on for a while. And it probably would be good for it not to be one long. It probably would be good for it not to be Return of the King. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're like Peter Jackson, you, uh, Jeremy, and our Peter Jackson. Was Thanks for tuning in. There's going to be five endings, and just <laughs> the ending is going to be a feature film. Peter Jackson got a postcard. He made 20 movies out at once. <laughs> well, that's the plan. For those that are listening, tune in for part two. We'll have it out for you very soon. I think that would be really invaluable for all of us involved. Well, it
thanks for joining us, Jeremy. We really appreciate your valuable insight, and I, I'm excited to hear more from you. And those that are listening, hey, if you have some opinions or you have some stories and you want to share some personal things that you're going through or you know of people that are going through it, we actually would really like to hear your experience. And there's a different ways that you can do that. First of all, you can find us on our Facebook page, which is you, me, and your mom. And you can just Google us. We pop right up. It's really easy to find us. But you can also find us on our Instagram page, which is you, me, your mom podcast. That's you and me, your mom podcast. You can also leave us a voicemail on most places that you get your podcast from. We actually can go to our profile and you'll find a cool button that says voicemail. If you click on a voicemail, you get to leave a voicemail. Hey, tell us what you think about this particular episode. Does this connect with you? Do you relate to it? Is there a story? Leave us a voicemail and we can feature your lovely voice right on the episode. You can also contact us through our email, which is you, me, your mom, 99 at gmail.com. That's you, me, your mom, 99 at gmail.com. And that's spelled by O-U-M-E-Y-O-U-R-M-O-N 99 at gmail.com. Thanks, bud. If you like what we do, one other thing that we do ask you to do is tell your family and friends about us. Um, it's the fastest way for a podcast to grow. And, you know, it's it's always a compliment. The biggest compliment that we can get is when you recommend us to people that you know. And uh, I know what it's like to recommend a podcast. For some strange reason, you're just like putting yourself out there. I don't know why it feels that way. So we always take it as the compliment that it is. Another way that you can help us out is leave us a review on places like iPhone podcasts and that sort of thing and, and, and drop us a line. Tell us how we're doing in your eyes. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. I've been Eric. and We've been joined by our other two co-hosts, Brandon and Mom. Her name is Sandy. And we've also been joined by our co-hosts, our special co-host for the evening, Jeremy. Well, wherever you are in the bright, wide world, just remember, it can always get worse. We'll see you all later. Bye. Bye.